0: What's up, Achievers? It's me, your host and friend, Billy Power. Welcome to the show. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm getting crushed by life. (laughs) Um, I think I finally see the smoke clearing, though. Um, I'm about midway through the semester, and I kind of think I see a light off in the distance. A very tiny, very dim, barely illuminated light. (laughs) Uh, I'll get there one way or the other. One day at a time, as they say. Uh, So, yeah, so I'm trucking along here. Uh, I've been being more intentional about trying to make time for fun, uh, thanks to my previous guest, Mike Rucker, Ph.D. And to that end, uh, I went to the city with my pal Danimal to see Mike Watt play at the Mercury Lounge. Uh, We ate dinner at Sweet Chick on Ludlow, where I had been before. It's a good place. I had the actual chicken and waffles with actual chicken, and Dan had the veggie version <laughs> uh they're both delicious i also had a biscuit because why not and some kind of cocktail that contained bourbon which was nice <laughs> uh our server was delightful uh it's around the corner from uh, Katz's deli down there on the lower east side so if you don't want to drown in that sea of humanity i suggest this place very good uh, they have other locations around the city including brooklyn but yeah sweet chick check that place out Uh, Then we went to the show. I did not care for the bands that opened for Mike Watt at all, so I won't say anything about that. Uh, But Mike Watt was amazing. Uh, I had seen him many years ago at the Moore Theater in Seattle with Firehose, but never with the Minutemen, uh, sadly. Um, I did get to ride in the Minutemen's van uh, briefly with Bill Stevenson from uh, Descendants and all. What a humble brag. Uh, But that was a really epic moment in my life. Uh, I believe Element 101 was recording at the Blasting Room in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. And uh, Bill needed to go to the music store um, to pick up some supplies for the recording session. And I rode with him in Dee Boone's van, the Minutemen's van. I hope that wasn't the one that he died in. I don't think so. In any case, wow, that got dark. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Mike Watt was amazing. He had a new drummer who I guess is filling in for somebody that who had a kid, I think Mike Watt mentioned. Uh, this drummer, Nick Aguilar, I came to find out, was seriously uh, incredible, and his interplay with Watt was really fun to watch. Watt was, like, uh, standing really close to him at several points throughout their set uh, and was yelling bass in the kid's face <laughs> and stuff. Um but uh, this drummer is absolutely incredible. Uh, he plays in punk bands in L.A. area. I believe he does booking for Alex's Bar, uh, punk bar there. Um, but the the tour is still going around. I definitely recommend it. Uh, Mike Watt is, of course, notably from the legendary SST Records band, The Mint Men, and also Firehose. Uh, as I mentioned, he's a ridiculously Great bass player and gentleman of punk. He's a character. Um, Watt from Pedro on Instagram if you want to check him out. So, yeah, check that out. Fun times. Uh, The crowd at that show was incredibly strange. (laughs) It was as if uh, the New York Times arts page uh, had this show as their pick of the week or something. The show sold out, but it was so – it was weird, man. Um, But, yeah cool show it's good to get out uh also went to van Lewen after the gig for ice cream i had vegan ice cream uh but real chicken for dinner Whatever. Don't judge me. Uh, (laughs) Real quick, I wanted to mention that the second Spoken in Tongues" single, Fractures, is out on all streaming platforms and also on the listen page at spokenintongues.com as well as our Bandcamp page, so please check that out. Uh, It's one of Chris and I's favorite uh, songs from the record. The record comes out in late November, um, the day after my birthday, on November 22nd, and limited edition physical goods are still available in the form of CDs, vinyl LPs, and yes, even cassette tapes. Uh, okay, enough with the sales pitch. My guest this week is Nate Allen. Nate has had his share of struggles with mental health and wellness and has funneled a lot of that energy into his latest project that he's doing under the name Good Saint Nathaniel. Uh, the album is called Hide No Truth and is self-described as a, quote, dance with shadows, doubt, brazen courage, blind faith, and the weight of life. This is broken gospel music scraped off of bloody floors and splintered church doors. Wow, that's heavy. (laughs) Uh, You might know Nate from his usual moniker of Destroy Nate Allen, where his approach is decidedly more punk rock. And as you will hear in the episode, he did a ton of touring under that moniker. In this latest incarnation, though, uh, Alan is more reflective, restrained, maybe less fun, but in a good and thoughtful way. Uh, We talk about his upbringing, musical and otherwise, try to get to the root of some important stuff here. So, all right, let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce to you the one and only Oak Ridge, except they didn't have a hospital. So Eugene, Oregon's native son, Nathaniel Stephen Allen.
1: damage to unravel, picking out the sand and gravel. Wish I could time travel before the nursery. Through my family tree, I'd bring my boxing gloves, righteous anger towards lost
2: What's up, man? We we made it. I'm here. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm breathing uh, slowly, and <laughs> settling in. That's
0: it. We must have met at some point, maybe Tomfest or something, or
2: probably Tomfest. That that's probably a pretty logical place that I don't really remember meeting, but it might have been.
0: It's all fuzzy now. Yeah, everything's <laughs> getting fuzzy.
2: <laughs> And tell me, were you born in like Oregon? Yeah, I was born in Eugene, Oregon. Okay. So Oregon's home for me.
0: That's like pretty sleepy, Eugene.
2: It's not as sleepy as the town I would have been born in if they had a hospital called Oak Ridge. Oak Ridge. Which is up the highway towards Willamette Pass. And it's uh uh-huh. a thousand people or something. It's tiny. And they didn't have a hospital, so my parents drove down to Eugene to have me.
0: I mean, it sounds like you were born in the twenties or something. <laughs> 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 I,
1: kind of. It's, that's that's about the way
2: the town feels. It, it feels trapped in time and a really, in you know, a weird space. I, I oh, really? don't. I never really lived there though, so that's. Oh, that's good. O- Oak Ridge or Eugene. Yeah, yeah.
0: And then, did you eventually move out of that area?
2: Like- yeah. Well, I grew up in Roseburg, and okay. Lived there predominantly till two thousand and four. Okay. And headed to San Francisco from there.
0: Oh boy, we got a lot of ground to cover. All (laughs) right, so tell me, tell, (laughs) tell me, uh, tell me, like what, tell me what it was like growing up where you grew up. Tell me what your life was like.
2: Uh, See, my parents managed apartments, and my dad also worked full time, so there was always home was always an office, um, which is kind of weird to like. You never know who's going to walk in the front door at any time of the night, so you make sure the door's locked. Yeah, it was super, it was weird. Like, I think my first Christmas uh, away from there, my parents came to visit, and, like, we got a hotel room and locked the door. And we're like, nobody's going to interrupt us. This feels so weird. (laughs) Um, So that was growing up. Um, Like, interrupting for what? Like, what were they coming over for? You know, I want to pay a rent. I want to ask a question. Uh, more extreme story. Somebody kicked my door and beat me up in the middle of the night. And now I need you. Um, so kind of kind of like, I mean, you never really know. It was the whole gambit of like crisis to just interruption because I think this is an office, not a house. Really? Yeah.
0: That's weird.
2: It was a strange, strange existence.
0: That's all they did was just manage apartments like your uh, whole coming up.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, my dad worked full time in a sawmill, and my mom, okay, uh, did that. So, I mean, they were—they were. I mean, my dad was probably pulling ninety-hour weeks most of my formative years. Really? Yeah.
0: A sawmill, like lump, like lumber, like timber yeah. into lumber. Totally. He never like sawed off a thumb or anything crazy.
2: Uh, I think— uh, no, he didn't. Um, I saw guys with crazy, gnarly injuries, and I had wood in my stomach for years from working there.
0: You had wood um, in your stomach? Well, hello there.
2: Hey, LB. What's hi. going on? This is my, my daughter, Elby. What's up, Elby? Do you want to say hi to Bill? Uh-huh. Yes,
0: hey there. <laughs> LB, ladies cream? and gentlemen. Oh, ice cream. Nice.
2: Do you want to sit up here for a second, or you want to go back to Mommy? I think she'll be taken away shortly. Nice. The plan at least. What's going on there?
0: Does oh, she probably can't hear me.
1: <laughs> My knee's stuck. Your knee's stuck? Hmm.
0: Hi there. Hi there. How are you doing? How are you doing? Oh, not get... good. <laughs> yeah, she can't hear anything I'm saying. Hey there. How's it going? Are you, you playing? What are you doing over there? Good. She, Oh, she's good. All right, good.
2: <laughs> Want to go back to mommy? No. No?
0: No, um, she likes it in here.
2: All right, good. Yeah, okay. We're going to... um. So, I'll get back to growing <laughs> up.
0: Uh, <laughs> we're about to talk about gruesome hand injuries. Yeah, we're, and, <laughs> we're
2: going We're going there, LB. Um, <laughs> uh,
0: well, that, well, since she can't hear me, I'll tell you when I was in junior high... Uh, I was waiting to be picked up outside one day and our shop teacher uh, had was doing some fancy drop cut on a table saw and it pulled his hand into the saw and just like took off like the oh the, man t- the the ends of like 3 of the 4 of his fingers and he I, for reasons I still don't really understand he was wearing like a white smock like a full length white like almost like lab coat and it was just covered in oh, my blood and like yeah and he just comes out of there like something out of a horror movie I'm like oh my god and he went to like our church so he's like somebody we knew and I was like oh
2: no what happened
0: this <laughs> is awful
2: Hey, um, I'm gonna pause for a second see if I can take her back downstairs. I'll be right back.
0: Yep, you got it. I am back. That's, a, that's amazing.
2: I handed her to to uh, Tessa, my wife, and she's like, "I was talking to Bill." <laughs> like, what uh, is happening? <laughs> totally. um, so so yeah, we, we were talking about sawmills. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, right after high school, I did the summer in the sawmill, um, which is pretty traditional around where I grew up. To raise really? Money. And uh, I, I hated it. Like, the worst uh, job that I've ever had. But um, one of the things is you had to pull wood off of, this called, called a round table. It's probably a 25 to 30 foot spinning metal table. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And the wood's coming at you probably 10 miles an hour. Um it spits out of a dryer and you have to catch it and throw it into a big bin like and keep it stacked. But you're also wearing an apron that goes up to like like halfway up your stomach and uh if you throw <laughs> the wood wrong, the reason you have this big uh leather apron is cuz the wood can like get stuck in your stomach. And uh for years when I'd lay down at night, I'd be able to feel the, the wood that was in that piece of wood that got in there what yeah. like embedded in your skin or something yeah something like that I never I n- it never came out I just I either uh I just stopped feeling it <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I
0: just stopped feeling it never got yeah, that checked huh ne-
2: never really I mean, it didn't hurt it was just like there and so I don't know
0: oh sure don't don't act like that's just something that people have all the time walking around with wood in their stomach
2: where I grew up yeah
0: <laughs> where you grew up that was just normal, right?
2: Yeah, it was this um it was totally the the trade of the town. Um it's it's Roseburg where Roseburg Forest Products is at. So I mean even if I okay. go to a uh I mean a, a Home Depot here, I'm likely to see their wood still.
0: I'm just relieved when you initially said in your stomach, I thought you meant inside your stomach. So I was just happy to hear that it was like somewhere on the outside. No, like it was it was your... a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> then i really then i really wanted to know how you knew it was in there like were you throwing up wood chips or like yeah, what happened yeah. but
2: yeah now that fortunately no that would have been horrible
0: yeah so summer you spent summers at the wood mill did you have any other like jobs as a as a youth or that was pretty much all you did was oh no the...
2: I, I was a paper boy from when i was probably 14 on so
0: paper boy what paper um, were you delivering
2: the news review it was a A local paper so I had my 40 customers I ride my bike and and uh throw the paper out of their porch it's pretty fun
0: yeah was that from like a bicycle or
2: yeah I rode on a bicycle nice
0: old school on the bike yeah (laughs) (laughs) what kind of bike were you riding
2: it was called a barracuda what it was a mountain bike that I that I got and I I mean I I loved it it worked really well and I didn't I I Moved actually to Can- all the way to Kansas City with it. I had it for 20 years or so. And I rode it once here and somebody stole it. And, uh, what? And then I, then I looked it up and realized that it was actually a really good bike and oh, no. wor- worth money. And I was like, I didn't know that it was actually worth anything other than <laughs> this exact the Sentimentality.
0: Moment. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But it uh, turns out Fond it was still, still had like resale value 20 years later. So it was a good bike.
0: Oh bike. my gosh. A Barracuda. We need to, somebody needs to return that bike. That's not cool.
2: You can come find me. I'll take it back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about, like, um. this is, like, you're, like, really in, like, a small town. So, like, what, like, what's your first exposure to music?
2: Church music, for sure. So, like, yeah. I was a... Hymns? Yeah, hymns. I went to an Assemblies of God church, so it wasn't so much, it was hymns, but it was, they were pretty rock and roll. It's the same denomination jerry lee lewis would have been in so it kind of had a little bit of a a red-faced screaming vibe to half the really yeah
0: like what did they have like full musical accompaniment or just someone playing piano or Uh, what
2: piano drums i mean that's all i really remember there was probably more but um yeah so it was i i really hated it but looking back it was it was a pretty interesting thing
0: you hated it
2: yeah i you know i i really hated music um like I remember, <laughs> there's I, the quote I,
0: promotional I, quote I could use. I for really this hated
2: <laughs> hate hate music. Let's just go with that. Um, so uh, up until like probably August '94, my dad was having a yard sale and he had a big uh, stereo and he's like, "Hey, do you want this?" And I was like, "Nope, I hate music. Sell it." <laughs> <laughs> and because and then like. Because to me, music represented like church and Christian school and a, and a lot of mean people. So I didn't really like, I didn't have a, a positive, positive connection with it. Yeah. Um, and then like a month later, I heard Green Day and my life just got completely flipped upside down. And all of a sudden I was like, I love music and I'm super obsessed with punk rock. Uh, but it had been so close that I remember telling my dad, no, sell your, your stereo. I hate music. Wow. What,
0: how did you, how were you exposed to that then?
2: I was at a friend's house. His brother had a a copy of Dookie on cassette and put it on. And I just remember getting super excited. Um, But I was still pretty sheltered. So we watched a video on MTV and I remember asking my friend, who is that? And he's like, oh, that's Green Day (laughs) because they looked so wild. Uh, I didn't know anybody that had like, you know, green, wild hair or anything. That's crazy. So prior to how old were you then? I would let's see. I always say I'm around about 12, probably.
0: You were twelve. And prior to that, your only exposure to music of any kind was basically church music. It was
2: really church. Um, I've I've done as much homework as I can on trying to like dig up if there was other bands I saw. And somewhere around that time, I know I saw a res band, but I think that was after I found fell in love really? with Green Day. Um Cause there's a little, I mean, it's a totally small conservative town. So it was very, uh, like there wasn't like a, a rock scene or a punk scene that I knew about there. Right. Uh, Tell me the name of the town that you were living in at that time.
0: Roseburg. That was Roseburg. Okay. We mentioned several towns there with hospitals yeah, and stuff. So. Covered all around. And <laughs> Eugene, had, and had Roseburg. And... And <laughs> I'm not. I'm not that up on my uh, Pacific Northwest geography yeah, as I once small, was. So. It's
2: small towns, so it's that's small. right.
0: That's right. <laughs> so that's amazing. So uh, Dookie at twelve. And then yeah. that sort of changed everything. For sure, if you heard Resband after that, that didn't have any. You're just like, what is this? That's not No, cool.
2: I, I have some, some memory with it not being like, but it definitely wasn't like, oh my gosh, my life has changed uh, in the same way. Yeah, yeah. And so you obviously
0: then early on, I'm hearing that you had sort of like a negative feeling about you were at like a Christian school. Tell me about the school that you're at.
2: I did 12 years of Christian school, um, kindergarten through high school. Uh Um, Actually, and so that was, I didn't like it. Um, And uh, the reason that I I look back on it is it was really like super legalistic and also really complicated. It was a pretty good example of private school gone horribly wrong. Um, Mm. Lots of um, people getting spanked for no reason. Lots of really weird rules. um, Lots of, I was actually thinking the other day with, I was talking to my therapist about, my fourth grade teacher who I, my mom was telling me a story that my fourth grade teacher convinced me that I couldn't spell. And really kind of pushed, uh, had me so down that uh, my mom told me that I came home and I was like, I want to kill myself. Uh, what? It was like, and I mean, this is a teacher that was uh, so bad. I remember like my, one of my classmates uh, said they had to go to the bathroom. The teacher said No. And made the kid pee themselves in class. Oh my gosh! And like horrible. so, like it was just really like, it was it was a really bad place. Um, it was taught you a lot, but it uh, it really tore you down. That's
0: terrible. Yeah, but it wasn't Catholic. It was like what? what was no, it?
2: it was it was non-denominational. So it was a mix of everybody probably, but Catholics.
0: Weird. Yeah, I don't. I haven't heard too many like stories or any th- anybody talking it, that's usually associated with like nuns and catholic schools and all that yeah. kind of stuff i don't know
2: Too i've heard all schools. sorts of, like, i've that. heard all sorts of stories of uh christian or private school horror stories so it's crazy
0: yeah oh my gosh that's crazy so somehow you sur- like tell me a little bit more about that so what totally. were you... like you were just taking normal classes were you doing like extracurricular things at that time
2: oh yeah no really? well i played sports so i was i was super into uh, baseball and basketball. So I played sports, like pretty much as soon as I could, all the way through high school. Yeah. Um, so I did I do sports and then, and school and then church. So like had youth group or whatever was uh the the regular weekly program the church had. Um, so that was like all the all the extracurricular activities I could do. I was an extrovert, so I loved hanging out with people. Um, huh. and that was just I mean I was pretty busy but I was with home life I wasn't I was pretty lonely so I remember like I really liked sports because there was people around and I Mm -hmm. I found it really fun Um,
0: so you were extroverted yeah for sure
2: huh
0: and and you still love basketball right you're still like I do yeah I'm still
2: still gonna watch tonight
0: (laughs) (laughs) nice so that's stuck
2: Yeah, I I love—I mean, that's—I live in Kansas City, and that's, like, one of the best things about living here is that there's, like, sports I can access easily.
0: Yeah. Like, that you can actually go?
2: Yeah, it's—I mean, it's—basically, I can either go to a movie or I can go to a Royals game, and so it's it's really fun to have that option. So it's super accessible.
0: The tickets are, like, pretty reasonable and stuff?
2: Yeah, if you're not—if you don't want something fancy, you can get a ticket really cheap. That's cool. That's— it's become very
0: inaccessible for most working people in most cities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I can remember, like, uh, like seven years I lived in Nashville, we were kind of into the Predators hockey team. And when before they became really big and the town blew up, like, it was pretty cheap to go. It was, like, you know, same kind of thing. Like, same in, like, Seattle, like, Seattle Thunderbirds, like, minor league hockey. Like, I used to go to those games all the time because they were really cheap and it was fun. Yeah. Um, but it seems like anywhere else now, any other type of major sport, it's like just not really that accessible to go. You know, it's so totally. expensive.
2: It's like, I mean, I can easily get a ticket for under twenty any day I want. So that's great. Um, which you for even me go is... to most shows for under twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's a pretty uh, it's it's a nice luxury here. That's cool. What's the game tonight? Uh, the Golden State Warriors are playing the Toronto Raptors in the NBA Finals. Okay, nice.
0: I yeah. literally have no idea what's happening there, so I'll, I'll rely on it's, you. <laughs> it's, uh,
2: it's it's my uh, it's a, one of the few things that I'm like, I really, really love this, and I'm going to go do it for fun and relaxing.
0: I think that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. So you were playing sports, and you hated music, and um, people at your school were doing all kinds of real evil uh, shit. Just yeah, that's, sad, that's a,
2: a great summary. <laughs> <laughs> you just got my I ba- childhood I bounced almost. around a lot of <laughs> – I bounced around – what would you say? Say said Sorry. you got a lot of my childhood right there. <laughs> oh, boy.
0: Yeah, the, that was like a horrible summary. Sorry. Um, like I moved around schools a lot when I was a kid, so I never really stayed in one place long enough for – I mean, some weird things happened, but I was never – I don't know. I cumulatively didn't get to be anywhere long enough to where people could, I guess, figure out ways to really do – stuff too terrible to me but um, gotcha. i did i did have some pretty bad experiences in in elementary school i had like a contract when i was in fifth grade where i couldn't talk to i, I still don't understand what this is about but basically i couldn't talk to anyone like if i talked to somebody and the teacher would warn me and then i would get sent home from school i can remember doing like the like i will not talk in class in the chalkboard business and all that kind of weird Yeah, it was like a different time for sure. I definitely got paddled once at school too, which is just bizarre to think about in today's context. But
2: I didn't get paddled, but I know that I probably wrote, I will not talk in class a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know, like, does that even work? Like, it didn't work for me.
2: (laughs) I remember my my first grade teacher, who was also my kindergarten teacher, was saying that, like, Nate— or Nathaniel was like, he's really great. He he follows every rule I have, but I can't get him to be quiet. And nice. I, it was like that was the. She's like, I'll put him off to this, like isolate him up by my desk, and he'll pull me into conversation. And I'm I'm forty, and he's like six. <laughs> was,
0: uh, he's like finding a way. I'm gonna find yeah. a way to get you to talk to me. <laughs> Something else I know that we have in common in uh, doing a little lurking out research is that uh, you and I both struggle with math. Yes. What's up with math, dude?
2: Math for me, the first uh, so the the private school that we talked about that was really really cruel was also really advanced academically, and so Uh the math that I learned in seventh grade, like through seventh grade, was like three four years ahead, Mm -hmm. and so then at that point I switched to another school who was a little less less dysfunctional, still not good, but um, my math that I learned in seventh grade lasted till I was a junior in high school. And I didn't wow. have to open a book or study. And then I remember where I was sitting when my math ran out. Uh, <laughs> and I was just like, oh. When you, when you uh, tapped out on math? Yeah, I, I know. I can tell you where I was sitting. Uh, I'm uh, This lady, Mrs. Harmon, was my teacher. And I uh, and actually just posted this story on her wall not that long ago. But it was like, I sat in your class and I remember like, I know nothing anymore. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'd just been, you know, skating by. And then, so I don't think I took math my senior year. I just barely got by good enough grades to play sports. Um, mm. And then I went to college uh, when I was 19. And I remember feeling like I was doing really well. And I sat in a math class. And it happened to be a teacher who had been a substitute at that first school. Mm-hmm. And his teaching style was the same. And I had a total, like, trigger moment and just completely hit the wall again. Um. Mm-hmm. And so I failed that class and it would been it would have been probably gosh, almost 10 years later, I went back to college again and I was like, "Man, I know that I know this math. It's somewhere in my head, but I I'm totally going to hit a wall." <laughs> and so I
0: got It's like algebra or like
2: algebra, what, what are you yeah, talking about? Yeah, yeah, we're okay. talking like uh call it like college algebra basically
0: um yeah the alphabet now of diabolically yeah, and letters to, letters totally. and numbers what are you doing
2: <laughs> oh man so i i totally like grabbed a uh, a book for the class that i knew i would fail and studied it and then just signed up for the class beyond the one that i'd messed up in
0: oh perfect <laughs>
2: and got an a <laughs> Really? Yeah. And uh, the teacher was, at the end of the class was like, so I didn't test into your class. I just showed up. And he's like, well, you passed. And uh, so I ended up, uh, I now have a, a degree in business. And so I had to finish uh-huh. the full college math sequence. Um,
1: oh.
2: And and totally like, there was a few spots that were really, really hard. But um, for the most part, I, I kind of worked past the block by literally just skipping the class. Oh, my gosh.
0: My... I failed pre-algebra in high school. I had a teacher who would like his way of teaching was to, just to do the problem on an overhead and then go, well, why don't you get it? I'm like, I don't oh, understand anything, literally anything you're doing. Like, can you tell me what it is you're doing? And he would just do the problem again. It's like, uh, oh, you're man. not teaching me. Like, I don't, what is this? And yeah. then I had to take like two semesters of consumer math, which is like how to balance a checkbook or like actual yeah. math you would use for like two semesters to, to graduate. And then I never went to college because I was like, I'm not going to pay to fail math. Like, why should I totally. do that? I want to do music or whatever. And then uh, now I'm in college now. And by some miracle, I I was able to take this class, Contemporary Applied Math, for everyone, which the name just cracks me up in itself. And it was like, you know, Roman numerals, like, you know, uh, how UPCs work, like just the dumbest, like dumb math. And the teacher was like the nicest lady ever. She could like nice. barely speak English, which I thought was hilarious also. And then um, there's always got to be some weird scenario. You know, it's like, couldn't it be just like a normal teacher, like, you know, like whatever. But thankfully, she was just great. And I actually managed to get an A, which is like just crazy. That's um, awesome. I, you know, because I had so much anxiety about, like, I'm never going to pass math. It's going to yeah. be the reason I fail out of college. Like, what am I doing? And then uh, I got a break finally. That's
2: awesome. So, yeah. Congratulations.
0: <laughs> did you write it? Did you write, you wrote a song about math? Yeah, right? it's about, called
2: Math, Math, I Will Defeat You. Yeah. Math, I Will Defeat
0: You. So, well, yeah. we were both victorious. So good for <laughs> I, us.
2: <laughs> I actually sang that in a final in college because I wrote that and then I was like, uh, I was like, asked the teacher if I could sing the song, and I, I sang like in it. front just, of the class. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I sang it, and then took the test. And um, I actually was really, really bad at the test, and so but she let me go to her room for like another hour to finish it. And uh, really, I think it was because I sang the song. So
0: nice. I don't. I'm pretty sure no one's ever sang a song in any class I've been in, yeah, in my life. So
2: she seemed really surprised that I asked her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> math, I will defeat you. Nice. Well, I'm I'm having a celebratory moment for the both of us that so we uh, we made it through the math. We made it.
2: I do nice. now. I do Good. math for a living, so it's kind of wild. Uh, that is wild.
0: You do, you guys do taxes, right? Yeah,
2: taxes and payroll and accounting. So
0: man, I should hit you up. I I deferred on my taxes this year, so I'm ah. putting that off.
2: <laughs> we're
0: we're here. Nice. <laughs> um. All right. So. All right, let's talk about then, I want to talk about the space between high school and college the first time and sort of let's pick up where we left off with Green Day. Walk totally. me through, like, what's the next kind of, like, do you finally start taking an interest in playing an instrument? Like, what's the next thing that happens with that?
2: No, I, um, so musically there was Green Day and then there was like a three year, like, consuming all the music I could get, get my hands on. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was at a Christian school, and I was at church, and my parents didn't like the secular music piece. So, um, for the first two years, that that meant I only snuck this Green Day tape. And then on <sighs> oh, on a wow. uh, a campus life magazine, it said uh, "MXPX for fans of Green Day." And uh, really, I totally went home and I said, "Mom, I want this." It was the, uh, the she ordered on the cover for me for Christmas, oh, wow. and uh, that kind of opened up the whole. Uh, Pandora's box of uh, like tooth and nail type things and just alternative punk rock that was uh, faith based, so that I could I finally had music to listen to.
0: Oh, I'm not too familiar with that. Um, <laughs> nah, no, nah. that sounds interesting.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a, a breath of fresh air where I was coming from because I mean you didn't really. Uh, In in my home, I asked my parents later, like, why did you not let me listen to you know secular or normal music? And they 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 didn't really have a good reason. Uh, Yeah, they don't. But it definitely was a rule.
0: So like, they didn't grow. Did they only grow up listening to church music? Your folks?
2: No. Um. But I think they both had really difficult home lives. Uh, They did. And so I think that their parenting of me and even putting me in Christian school was a reaction to the the damage they'd received and just thinking, well, this is like the best. And even though they were totally reacting out of fear, like a whole bunch of the time that was, uh, that was definitely like a motivation was let's, let's try to like keep him from what hurt us. But, uh, it swung in the opposite direction.
0: Right. So they had good intentions, but the execution was flawed. Very. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a bummer.
2: So yeah, yeah, cause
0: I was a lot of, you know, this is a common conversation I have with people about like the Christian music thing or whatever. And, but they all grew up, including my own father who worked in as a church musician. Um, you know, he listened to all just regular music. Yeah. I never got that trip, thankfully, in my, in my family, but like, I knew so many people like that. It's like, dude, you grew up listening to Elvis and like, now I can't listen totally. to whatever. Like,
2: <laughs> Yeah. It was a, it was a strange, strange deal. But my, I mean, my, Neither my parents. My mom plays piano, but they didn't put music on like growing up. So I mean it wasn't, so it wasn't like I was in the home. Like yeah. Uh, they have they have a stack of records that they i maybe never saw them even put on. So it's not like they were really like listening to stuff and telling me to listen to something else. It was just there was not really music around.
0: And you didn't care, so you didn't even look. You're like whatever yeah. a stack of records. I hate that crap.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're not even interested. I mean, there might have been something cool in there, but who knows?
2: I know there was an Evie record. If, uh, was it if you, really? Yeah, oh, I remember. So. Her. Yeah, that's, that's the only one out of the pile I remember.
0: Yeah, that was my mother's name, Evie. So I was, I was like,
2: oh, yeah, I have the same name as my mom. <laughs> that's fun. I've
0: been seen a lot of Amy Grant lately for reasons I don't understand. But voice of an angel, name voice of an angel.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard her call. What's it? The queen of Christmas music or something? And uh, they were. I don't fun with her. Um, so yeah. But right. I
0: was so. You had a period of just listening, basically. Yeah, I was just to... listening,
2: um, consuming, and then I went to Tomfest in ninety eight. Ninety
0: eight.
2: Ninety eight, and uh, it's actually was that few, the first
0: concert that you ever went to?
2: Uh, it was the first time I saw live punk rock, for sure. Really? Um, it was. I just remember just being blown away because there were so many bands that I had uh, be, had knew of at the time. And it was Mm -hmm. just like, they were all there. And I asked, um, I remember seeing Shorthanded played, and they threw Uh out a bunch of merch. Um, Like, they threw out tons of t-shirts, tons of stickers, tons of CDs. And then they also threw out their drum heads that were signed. Really? And uh, I picked up a drum head that was signed and walked up to their table, and I was like, hey— can you sign this? And they all signed it. And I was like, so how much would it, uh, cost for you to come down to play a show in Roseburg? And, you know, they told me gas money, which is just like, my mind is like, how does that doesn't even make sense. Uh, yeah.
0: How and was so that I, even a thought though? That's strange.
2: You know, I don't know. Like, I just, I was like, this is, this is my question. And I came home, I told my mom and my birthday was going to be like in a month. And, uh, she called them and invited them to come play my birthday party. Shorthanded. Yeah. And then uh, she got okay. off the phone and goes, so I just booked a concert for your birthday. You have a venue, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, no, but I can find one. <laughs> and, yeah, I'll figure that out. And Don't I, worry. I, I, we've got an old gymnastic studio that we had access to. And... Uh, and put a hundred kids in the room and uh, I just, it was fantastic. And then I became the promoter. So I just started throwing shows. That's crazy. How old were you then? 17. That was my 17th birthday. Are you serious? Yeah. So that's crazy. That, that drum head, I mean, it changed the course of my life and it was like, I talked to them later and they're like, that was the stupidest thing we ever did. We threw away all the money we made. And I was like, (laughs) but that, but that drum head, like it, it just altered things that's incredible
0: you don't still yeah. have that
2: i don't um i've got a bunch of other memorabilia from that era
0: i mean that's too bad
2: yeah i did get it's a poster first. uh john, john just sent me the tom fest poster from 98 did he uh, really yeah he, made? Is, yeah he made it so i was like oh i i not know, put it right on my wall and i was so excited
0: oh it's got the it's got the squirrel on there i see yeah so that's nice I actually camped one year at Tomfest, if you can believe that.
2: I did the Tomfest years, but I mean, I've, I've it's been many years since I've ever slept outside. I think I camped one
0: time at Cornerstone and one time at Tomfest, and that was it.
2: <laughs> yeah, just it was... long.
0: I, I would always forget how horrible it was, and then and then I do it one time and go, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing that again. No,
2: <laughs> it's not. It's a. I did Tomfest years, and then I never camped at Cornerstone. I sleep in the, the van because we'd be on tour right uh and yeah it's not i have no interest in setting up a tent
0: you wake up in the tent it's like a thousand degrees yeah, with the I've sun been... just beating down on you You can't even stand there you're like no i want to keep sleeping but it's like a sweat lodge in there it's just terrible
2: it just sounds miserable to me i i, <laughs> I saw a, something online that was like two thousand years of civilization taught us to sleep inside and uh yeah
0: that's it, it It's funny, growing up, my father was like a real outdoorsman, like fisher, hunter, always go camping every summer and all that stuff. Like it was a big deal with our family. And then um, I did some, I guess, technically camping when I was in the army after that. And then I've never been camping since. (laughs) It was like 30 years ago. Nice. Yeah. I I like the outdoors, but it's like, you know, I'll stay at a hotel, go hiking and then go back to the hotel. That's crazy. So tell, so wait. So then, all right. So you get this drum head, you do this birthday thing, which I'm still kind of reeling from that news. Andy, by the way, I think sells toys to Walmart he, now or something like that. Totally. I don't know if you're um, in touch with him, but
2: like vaguely connected every once in a while. Um, I know he lives yeah. somewhere in the Midwest. So
0: yeah, I haven't talked to him in a while. I remember him, of course, from, uh, from Empty Tomb and Crux and all that stuff. Totally. And whatever. And then, um, I was a and guy on that record, so wow. I remember them recording that. I think I might have even did I visit them in the studio? They, no, they had just finished recording when I visited the blasting room. I think I was there when Element One Hundred One was there. I went there Neat. a couple times. Very cool. That's crazy. Never heard of anybody playing a birthday party though.
1: Yeah, that's
0: they, they did it. That's amazing. <laughs>
2: well, it even gets wilder when uh, the, a band called the Beldings opened for them and and played really well. And then during a shorthanded set, the power went out. And so they really? they literally played to me and like four people uh, unplugged on a stage. At and, that show? At that show. Really? Because they never could get the power back on. And it was like, oh. that's the oh thing that my changed my gosh. life was the whole thing. And then these, this band playing to like, I mean.
0: You and, and three other people. Me and three other people. So, but then you said you, like, did you start promoting after
2: that? Yeah, day? I did. I threw shows all through high school. Um so,
0: Like what th- shows? Just uh, rattle off a bunch of shows. Gotcha. Um, lightning round.
2: Lightning round. <laughs> well, I threw, I threw the Christian shows. So, like, um, let's see. Did Shorthanded a few times. That that band, The Beldings, a bunch. Um, uh-huh. Anything that was kind of in the Oregon Christian punk rock scene at the time. Okay. Um, so, like the like
0: deadlines was that
2: um, later no the deadlines was exact same time I booked them once and they canceled um, okay jerks they total jerks I, I, if I could change jerk, one thing Sean. I'd have them come there's a whole nother story that that divulged into but uh, <laughs> let's make
0: them look terrible I keep asking Sean totally. to be on the show and he's you, you want to make just, them
2: look bull- real bad I can totally he, go there he's uh,
0: blowing me off <laughs> <laughs> no, All right, um, let's not do that today <laughs>
2: Now that, uh, so yeah, and basically I was just really involved in that world. And then uh, I started throwing concerts again at like 19 and um, through shows. Well, I mean, from 2002 to 2004 in Southern Oregon, at that point, I booked pretty much anybody who was touring, uh, Mm -hmm. just in general. So, like, bands that you know, um, booked Emory. Number one gun, the whole touring circuit from that time, all before they mm-hmm. signed, um, and then nice. sometimes after. So it was like if you were touring the West Coast, you were probably trying to connect with me at some point. Um, so lots of hardcore bands, lots of uh, and kind of screamo indie stuff of the day. So this, a lot this of Rise still Records Roseburg bands. or this is like yeah Ro- at in that Roseburg.
0: Point or... Okay. So
2: yeah, lots Crazy. of right. Lots of Rise Records bands, lots of Tooth and Nail bands, lots of other bands that are on tons of other labels.
0: What was your worst uh, money loss on a show?
2: Oh, um, I didn't really lose anything. I, um, I had a thing where I basically ran shows on a door deal. Mm-hmm. And so if if people were willing to take, you know, a gas money guarantee versus a cut of the door, Mm-hmm. Um, then they could play, and I'd feed them and put them up. and The shows were good enough, and it was a great gap between two, to two like San Francisco and Portland. So, you want to have a stop there. Yeah. And so, we didn't really lose any money. And uh, I only had, I think, two bands that ever even talked about money and like being frustrated by it. Most people were super happy for the shows.
0: Wow, that's awesome.
2: Um, and I had Look turned down some big bands that would want, like, you know, Blood Brothers or something that would want like 2,000, but it would. That didn't make sense because I'd have the same amount of kids if I booked, you know, um, I mean, any band like Suffering the Hideous Thieves, for instance. I'd have the same amount of people come out for them as I would for Blood Brothers, and they'd drive down for for the weekend. So
0: nice. So that was like basically like the same amount. Everybody came to whatever show it was, yeah, no Matter
2: what. Totally. I mean, and if it if it made sense, you know, where they'd actually could pull more of the the door, or you know, they're the only touring band that we'd we'd pay them appropriately. But so I was you
0: said they were staying with you also. Did you have your own place at that point or?
2: Uh they did stay with, with my parents still. Um, so they either mm-hmm. stay with my parents or our church at the time would let people stay. So really? they had a, a key to the youth room. So I'd be like, hey, here I come stay on these plush carpets with all this uh this nice stuff, and here's some showers. So nice. Look yeah, so it was, it was it was a pretty good setup. I mean, if you have your three basic needs, you have a good crowd. I mean, bands were probably killing it on merch. Um, yeah. Door deals aren't the biggest deal if you're going to have a crowd there.
0: Yeah. Like how many people would come to these
2: shows? Like a couple hundred? Five hundred? Yeah. A couple hundred. I mean, I think the biggest was probably 300. And then there was a bunch that were, you know, from starting at 15 people to like growing up to probably about an average of 100 or so.
0: This trajectory is totally fascinating to me. (laughs) So, so far, just to recap for everyone, you hated music. You didn't really grow up playing music or anything. You're playing basketball and baseball. And then uh, you finally end up going to TomFest. You get this drum head that they don't even know why they threw it out there. Your mom just crazily books them for your birthday, which I still don't really understand considering (laughs) the evidence. And then in the end, they'd only play to like four people. And then you just start booking shows, and at yeah. this point, you're still might even playing your own music. You're just,
1: you
2: know, putting I'd, on um, concerts. I was mostly putting on concerts. Uh, bouncing back uh, to when I was 15, I went to visit a Bible college with a a my friend's youth group, mm-hmm. and I had my heart broken, and a song oh, came boy. out of me. Uh, yeah, I went to write in my journal and, and said I wrote a song, and uh, and then I just went like crazy writing lyrics but i couldn't play an instrument um so for the first you know a couple of years there was just nothing but uh these words and these melodies in my head um that mm-hmm. i didn't didn't know how they lined up uh so that that was all happening kind of concurrently um and then when i was 19 we, we skipped a year there uh I went I was part of an organization called Youth of the Mission. Oh, uh-huh. y- YWAM, it's a missions organization. Yep. And so the way that the story plays out in my mind is that YWAM is really big on hearing the voice of God. That's kind of their big deal. Mm-hmm. Um like it's part well, of their Well, that's easy. I mean, everybody, <laughs> totally, that happens totally all Totally easy. Time. Uh, it's part part of their <laughs> DNA uh, wow. uh, of what they do. And uh and I thought the first thing that um I heard when I got there was send your CDs home. You made music and idol in your life. What? Yeah. The first thing I think I heard, and it took me six weeks to, to actually put my CDs in a box and try to mail them home. And I kid you not. I mailed them home on a Tuesday on a Wednesday. I had my first set of lyrics pop up into my head in six weeks. And then on a Thursday, there was a guitar sitting around in the room and I picked it up and I, I think I knew how to make a power chord and I made, I wrote music to the song. Wow. And, uh, I remember asking all my, you know, like roommates, like, what am I doing? Cause I didn't know what, I didn't know what chords like really were or like,
0: I, I still don't know.
2: Well, I didn't really. know what, like they'd be like, Oh, you're playing it. That's a G <laughs> an a, and a D, you know, like they wouldn't, they were yeah. telling me what my fingers were doing. And so I just started writing songs. Um, like, but not really having any clue what I was doing just being like oh now this is a thing I do I write songs and so I wrote this is at college uh no this isn't my no. I'm so I was 19. Um, okay that's the start of the music thing and so then but then I came back and I just threw concerts for a couple of years I didn't didn't play shows or anything
0: really you're just writing like just to get stuff out and that kind of thing
2: yeah um uh, gosh my I think we jumped around so much. My story's all jumbled. Um,
0: Don't worry. I, I was going <laughs> to ask you about. It. Let me sidetrack yeah. you again. That's my thing. Um, so you mentioned something about journaling. So journaling was like a part of your youth. Like like how you process stuff, or like when did that start? Like you know, the journaling. first memory
2: I have of journaling is that 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 journal that turned into a song. So um, journaling okay. still a big part of my process, but uh, it is. Yeah, it wasn't something that I grew up like writing all the time.
0: And so now, even now, when you journal, do you do it like by hand, like in a handwritten thing, or do you type on a computer? I write by hand. hand. Yeah. Interesting.
2: And sometimes it still comes out like a song, but uh, oftentimes it's six to words.
0: I have, like, some diaries from when I was in high school that I came across uh, not long ago, and that is, like, pure comedy. Oh, man. (laughs) Just, like, like what 16-year-old me, my whole world was ending uh, due to whatever is just the funniest crap you've ever read in your life. That's fun. It's like, Susie didn't talk to me today, and I'm very upset. My parents don't understand me. and (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Seemed, Seemed terrible, but I wasn't down, you know. I how little did I know how much worse things could get. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> I thought, man, nothing's gonna be worse than than this girl I went out for a week breaking up with me. Yeah, you know? yeah. boy was it's, I wrong? <laughs> it's, it's,
2: it's the worst.
0: Oh boy. So journaling is still part of your process and that
2: was kind of where yeah, that started. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was the first major one. Um but yeah, so I mean I started started like actually and this whole time I did start playing in bands, but I wasn't We weren't any, we played like one or two shows and then we'd break up. Um, You were playing guitar? uh, Played bass in the first band, then played guitar. Then I couldn't, well, I tried to play bass. That was actually crazy because I didn't know how to play. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I didn't play again. Uh, I just did some lead vocals in a a punk band. Um, But I didn't play guitar until, they're called Miles Mouthguard. Miles Mouthguard? Yeah. What's that about? Uh, there's, there was an American Dental Association commercial at the time, uh, where a dinosaur <laughs> swings through the air and he says, "Miles, where's your mouth guard?" And uh, what? that's where they got the name. <laughs> and, uh, that's great. Uh, it's yeah, it's not too bad. We were kind of like a Christian school version of the Sex Pistols.
0: Nice. Um, were you singing in that faux British accent that was so popular? For sure. Back
2: in the like, nice. Completely. <laughs>
0: I remember hearing TSOL uh, and thinking, like, these guys are from like Huntington Beach or something. <laughs> yeah. Why does
2: he sound like he's British? <laughs> I totally had it. I mean, I inherited it honestly from Green Day and every other punk band I ever heard at the time. So,
0: yeah, it's weird. I think people kind of gloss over that, but it's so obvious when you hear it, and then it's like weird, like you're from San Francisco. Why are you sounding British?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a really, I think, uh, vocal. I think the etymology. Or where, where someone's voice uh, evolves, I think is super interesting. Like, that is interesting. Being like, yeah. you know, watching the different elements. And I know for me, vocally, like, you know, I can name the 25 people that I think I share something in common with. And like, oh, yeah. then there was this other band that I saw one time that did this weird thing with their voice. And now they're part of this story, too.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
1: of me I give you everything that I can't find like the letters that I wrote to myself when I was losing my mind I bought an iPod Thought it would fix me But I haven't plugged it in in two years I booked a tour, called it Vacation time I leave home in tears call it disruptive I'd say I'm lucky I'd ruptured my internal affairs
0: So then, all right. So you're kind of like just playing. Now you're finally sort of playing around. You're singing yeah. in this uh, Miles mouth guard. You're doing some different stuff. It's all kind of going nowhere. They're yeah, yeah, just totally. Doing some stuff.
2: Wasn't going. The promoting yeah. was working. Um, music, I wasn't very good, and I I knew it, so, um, wasn't like playing a lot of shows or anything. It was just learning.
0: No. Almost no one lets that stop them, man. So yeah. I mean, why should it stop you?
2: Yeah, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so then tell me
0: then, like, when did, did you ever at some point, I only know you as basically like a solo artist or with your white Tessa. Yeah, yeah like, totally. playing and like whatever. So we're like, what's the next thing then? Okay. Like, Where you're actually starting to click and you're like, oh, I might want to do this or like what? Totally.
2: Um, 2004, I, I left the project called Rock for Reason and I ended up going to San Francisco. To, um, and I started dealing with heavy uh, depression. I was crying every fifteen minutes if I wasn't talking to someone. Uh, real wow. lonely, for combination of losing friendship, being in a away from home in a really intense place. A bunch of stuff, um, and realized there was a lot of um, a lot of fear and a lot of bitterness in me and a lot of anger, and I didn't know where that was coming from. Um, But at the same time, I had started playing music and it was, it's really like a social distortion, Johnny Cash, um, singer songwriter thing. Mm -hmm. And so I put out a few EPs that way, just self-recorded or on a four track and, uh, played Tomfest, toured up and down the coast a few times and got, uh, kind of got the, got the bug that, you know, gonna start playing. But at the same time I was having all these internal breakdowns that were just, uh, you know, something was broken in me. And so I told that to a, a friend of mine, and he, his comment was, well, why don't you—what uh, would happen if you just didn't tour for a little bit and worked on what's broken inside of you? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, I is thought— that somebody you're still friends with? Sorry totally, to interrupt you. For sure. His name's Leo. Um, he was the pastor that married us uh, Good job, Leo. Later. But uh, he asked me this great question, and I thought about it, and I thought, you know— Let's try it. And so I I stopped, actually stopped playing music um, to work on myself. And I didn't know if I'd ever play again. That was 2005. Um, hmm. Out of that year, I learned a lot about myself, healed a lot. And then, I don't know, somewhere around halfway through, I realized songs started coming back and they were different. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of the Johnny Cash social distortion, um, combination was more of an indie folk thing uh, Mm -hmm. quieter and those songs ended up becoming the first Destroy Nate Allen record Uh, and so I basically quit music for a year and came back with a whole new band whole new project that Mm -hmm. uh, was significantly better Um, and I I really attribute that to to being willing to quit for a while and work on myself
0: Why, why did
2: you go to San Francisco in the first place um, well, there's tons of backstory, but essentially I was, I was burnt out and tired in, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I had the idea there was, I had a friend with us that had a gone to a seminary down there called mm-hmm. AIM. So I was like, I'll okay. go to the, I'll go to the seminary, um, you know, learn more about things and, you know, get to, get to experience life. Um, and the, the pastor there, I talked to him and he seemed like a guy that would actually care and be able to like be present, mm-hmm. um, And then the week I went to visit the seminary, uh, it closed actually. Really? But I'm like, I'd already kind of decided I need to move to San Francisco. So I I decided to move anyway. So
0: then you're there. You don't, the purpose with which you originally (laughs) came to come there is evaporated. Totally. And and then you're like in this distraught state where you're, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I the first year I lived there, I moved four times. I got kicked out of a few places and just kind of like went on this uh, wild, <laughs> getting broken uh, down season. Oh, man.
0: So how long did you stay there?
2: Lived there for three years. Um, okay.
0: What were you going to say before I interrupted
2: you yet again? Sorry. Uh, oh, we're Almost there. Uh, so in, I mean, there I met Tessa, um, who we were, we were married. Um, so... That was totally a win. And then when I was totally when I was done with San Francisco, I was like, what's what was I here for? And I really was like, well, it, it really did take the form of a a seminary shaping season where, you know, I had had moved and grown a lot internally. Um, didn't have a piece of paper to show for it, but it was kind of the same goal I'd set out for, which was personal growth and to have some good support. It just uh looked different than I than I would have guessed. Specifically, because of the yeah. first year,
0: and you dropped out of college when you went to San Francisco, right? Yeah,
2: or- uh, I dropped out after one year the first time. Um, okay, right, right when I hit that math wall.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then you went back like ten years later, is what you said, or something.
2: Yeah, in two thousand nine, I went back to school.
0: Okay, now you said a season of seminary. Then you ended up going to seminary after all, somewhere else, or what?
2: Uh, no, I um, I just felt like that was that was the goal was to go and improve spiritually and to improve you know, to grow as a person. And yeah. when it was done, my time in San Francisco was done. I realized those were two things I'd done. I'd like, um, work through some of those fears and some of those bitterness and some of those moments of anger and yeah. also growing a lot, uh, and, and who I was. And so I think that's ultimately some of the same goal of seminary. Now you didn't and have siblings. I had a sister.
0: You had a sister. Where is she in all of this?
2: Um, sitting quietly in the background watching,
0: yeah. Is she, uh, how did she, like, is she still around? And
2: yeah, yeah, she, she moved here to, uh, lives in Kansas City with us. I mean, or down okay. the street. But, uh, good. Yeah. So we're close. And she was, she's five years younger than me. So in all of my adventures, she's, um, you know, she was there, but, but not necessarily like the same age to participate and jump into things.
0: Right. So where did you go then? Where did you end up going?
2: From San Francisco, I jumped in a tour van. Uh, and I went on a six month US tour. Wow! And what year is this? 2007, 2006. I put out my first Destroyed Allen record, and I was like, wanted to tour, but I didn't know what my capacity to tour was. So I booked 15 shows in 16 days up the West Coast, <laughs> and I, um, I wanted to see when I'd get tired. And yeah. I got tired towards the end of the second week, and I thought, okay, I can do this more. Yeah. And so how, I.
0: How quickly did you blow your voice up?
2: Oh, um, let's
0: see, or was that not a thing
2: with you? Oh, no, it's totally might, gonna be a thing. I might uh, be projecting.
0: <laughs> I, I don't, you know, for I, me, that was every show, and then I just tried to recover as best yeah, as I could for the next one. And my
2: then, voice yeah. gets historically got blown the first like couple shows of the tour, and then once it came back, it would last for months. Really? So I didn't really have like. Consistent vocal issues, except for that first week, or if the show is just too loud and I'm having to yell too loud.
0: I never did a single warm up. I never did any proper breathing. I never sang for my diaphragm. I'm, it's amazing I can not even talk anymore. I've got to be honest,
2: horrible <laughs> technique. Uh, but I've been doing vocal warm ups for about, a, I mean, for a long time now, and that really helps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I did we did we had a my band Blenderhead, we had a reunion show a few years back for a charity for our guitarist later guitarist's birthday. And um I had been but by then I was working at a school of rock and my and one of my vocal teachers gave me like a thing to listen to and do vocal warm-ups and they literally made fun of me. Like I was like I had to go in another room and I was doing these vocal <laughs> worms and Ed, and Matt and everybody's like, What are you doing in there, you nerd? <laughs> like, you know, like whatever. I was like, You guys are not helping, man. <laughs> uh,
2: no, I I had a friend who uh Told me I needed to, and so I've been. I mean, it's probably several. It's several years now. I have an app on my phone to listen to and sing along to.
0: Yeah. All right. Thanks. So you went on this tour, and then you just like you entered an era of couch surfing or something, or what
2: happened? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I, that would be nice. Um, I entered an era where I moved back to moved to Portland. Um, when I lived in San Francisco, my family moved from Southern Oregon to Portland, so I lived with them um, for okay. a couple months, and then. Uh, Tessa and I got married in February 2008. So we moved into an apartment there. And, uh, okay. So we've been, I lived in Portland from 2007 till
1: 2013.
0: Okay. Let's, we we don't want to get too mired down in dates. Yeah. uh, Every time you say a date, I think about, okay, what was I doing? Where was (laughs) was I doing in 2013?
2: Lived there for some years. So, I mean, those were, uh, yeah, just kind of, We'd do six months, four months on tour, or four months on tour, and then come back, and I'd go to school or or try to work um, and just kind of do it over and over again.
0: Right. And so, like, just in general, like, give me an idea of, like, your experience in doing Destroy Nate Allen and playing those shows and whatever. Was this, like, a good time for you? Were you, like, enjoying it? Were you still mired down enough in this sadness and this other stuff that it was like a mixed like thing
2: or like give me a feeling of that um, time. I liked it. I uh, I mean, the shows are fun. We're a really fun band and we, mm-hmm. we, uh, it tends to be us playing with the audience. So it's like a big play time. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, so it's a, it's a really fun show. Uh, it keeps it interesting. And I mean, we did a thousand of those, so it's still something we enjoy. Um, but like, internally, I don't really think, I wasn't thinking like, am I sad? Am I happy? I was just going for it um, yeah. as, as hard as I could. And really, in hindsight, really quickly, I turned into a pretty raging workaholic. Because um, mm-hmm. I did have those core insecurities. Um, they go much, they go back into childhood for sure. But um mm-hmm. They, they were the motivation. So, I mean, I didn't, didn't have a label, didn't have like, you know, a producer, any of that jazz or manager. So I was just a self, self booking, self working person. So, um, the regular DIY punk rock world. So like I had this, because I'm from, I'm from a a lineage of hard work and and intensity. So like there's something that switches. It says, if I, if you don't like me, well, I can, I can make you like me by working really hard. And and if it's a contest, I can outwork anybody um, or or could. Uh, Right. So so it was really kind of 2007 to 2012 was basically five years of me working as hard as I could to try to make something for myself. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't think, uh, I think there was a lot of broken motivation uh, specifically around self-worth in that season. But it was really more of a, can we get to where we're going by working really hard? Uh, there's no nobody opening a door for us, so I'll just knock it down. Yeah.
0: In looking and looking at some of that stuff and, and thinking about you and thinking about the way you're presenting yourself now and these plaid shirts and stuff. And you don't have blue hair. I was just thinking like <laughs> he destroyed, he literally
2: destroyed Nate Allen. Like, what, like, totally. like what happened? It's like, where'd that guy go? Well, that's, that's the whole joke is like, I, I, I destroy myself and I did for years. Um, particularly through the, like, like pushing so hard. Um, got all sorts of injuries. Um but like injuries. I mean 2012 was a was a big like turning point. I really started to realize how much of a workaholic I was. And uh a good example of this is that we'd be on a you know a multi-month tour and and Tessa who's uh, not only my wife but also my bandmate was like can we have a day off? And I'd say no, we can't have a day off. Um and I it was much easier for me psychologically to drive 8 hours to play for no like to five people in a town we'd never been to before then to get mm-hmm. myself a day off because I was so insecure. Um, wow. And so even though there was all these bright colors, there was a whole lot mm-hmm. inside of me that was was very um unsettled. And I didn't mm-hmm. really know at the time. I was just caught up in the the frenzy of it all. To, I didn't really know what was what was inside.
0: Yeah. So like what was the was there like a breaking point was there like uh like how like what did that look like when you find it's sort of all like you finally I mean it seemed like you were at least enough aware. my biggest problem in my life was I was like not self-aware really totally I was just kind of like managing everything by not by ignoring all that kind of yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and not allowing the sadness or anything and I had definitely had some of that workaholic stuff as well um But as you well know, um, being a person in therapy and everything like that, like it doesn't go away. It just stays in there and and just keeps going. Um, So like, was there a moment, like a breakdown, like a, like a, like what happened?
1: Uh, There was a
2: lot of, um, a
0: series of
2: events, a a series of things. Um, I think the one that really, there was, was, there's, there's wake up calls. Um, so 2007 to 12, we toured heavily, but 2010, Mm -hmm. we were, we finally got our big break. We were going on a big tour. Um, mm-hmm. and I being a complete idiot, um, decided that I wanted to have my 500th show be in Portland as our tour kickoff. And I decided mm-hmm. I'm gonna play 50 shows in six months in Portland, um, with the goal of getting to this goal and what that ended up doing, um, um, I don't fifty think shows that. in six months. Yeah, well, I was going to school full time, probably working a bit too. Um, so like this is examples of the workaholic stuff. But I was like going for it, and Tessa ended up rupturing her appendix, and Ugh. she ruptured it. Some point, we're not really sure when. I know she played two shows with a ruptured appendix. Um, oh no! Because she's got a crazy pain tolerance. Um. We played. One of them was with a band called Soul Souljunk. Some people have heard of them. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. That so guy. we played with them with a ruptured appendix. Uh, but San uh, Diego. Yeah. But we uh, and that was really like a wake up call. I was like, man, this is you know we had to cancel the tour and spent she spent two weeks in the hospital, and uh, and it was like, okay, what am I what am I doing here? Um, it was a, a wake up call. And then um, 2012, I was on tour and in Chicago. I have been over to pick up a burrito and my back locked up and I couldn't couldn't move I was on a couch for a week in Chicago um and we had to cancel the tour and go home uh and we just made the record that we were really proud of it was like our big deal um and we're like let's just try to you know and it was really what like record was that? uh with our powers combined okay um so we were really happy with that. Uh, it was like the high energy point of that season um, mm-hmm. but it was really like at that point, my workaholic stuff had already been exposed. I, like I knew I was running yeah. on bad fuel and mm-hmm. I mean my family pattern is a family of workaholic stuff, so like my dad was was kind of a blind blindly a workaholic um till I was like halfway through high school, like he was just mm-hmm. gone absent, and then he realized that I was graduating and um soon and he he literally was like oh i should present for my kid and so he started showing up on baseball games uh but i remember enough of being like huh like he was gone and now he's here so that's like something that i i realized i'd fallen into um and we really wanted to like i didn't want that to be my legacy of just being like the hard-working guy who's got a bunch of addictions he's not willing to deal with um yeah that didn't sound like to me any, any sort of way to live a life or sustain a life. Um,
0: yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So, <laughs> well, you're not kidding. It's like, uh, appendixes uh, and, uh, <laughs> there's so much more <laughs> backs. And <laughs> there's, this is just the, the, the beginning of, uh, yeah. realizations about, uh, the direction that you're headed in and, yeah. and whatever. Well, you didn't, you didn't struggle making a living, I guess. Like, I mean, you did, but you, you we, were working all the time or like did. somehow you made it work.
2: Yeah, we made it work. Um, we could pay the bills if we went on tour. Um, mm-hmm. We, that was kind of the deal. Like we definitely weren't enough sales to, if we didn't tour, we didn't make any money. Um, right. And so like that was the thing. Along the, the way, Tessa became a tax preparer. So she started doing taxes uh, in Oregon. And then once we moved here, the business grew. Um, mm-hmm. So that that helped us out. Uh, and kind of paid for records and stuff like that.
0: Right. So if you're willing, um, for this last part of our discussion, I'd like to get into a little bit of like, just kind of the root of some of this stuff. If you, if you're totally. open to doing that yeah, and, yeah, and sure. this new project and the genesis of that stuff. And I know there's, you know, topics of like spiritual abuse and all that kind of stuff, oh, but right. we haven't really gotten into like Aside from these, a few little things about school, I'm just yeah, curious yeah. about like what you started to kind of unravel and get to the bottom
2: of through all that. So 2013 was a, a slowdown year. And at the end of that, I realized that a whole bunch of my motivations were from spiritual abuse. Um, I didn't know that had been part of my deal. I just knew that I had problems with, Church and Christians, Mm -hmm. some problems with God, but they weren't, they didn't necessarily feel like they were focused on him. I just knew that like things that I enjoyed at one point, I didn't enjoy anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. people, I, you know, activities that I did like, I didn't, couldn't do anymore. And realized that that was like a huge motivator for me. And I realized that there had been thousands of interactions, uh, that I'd been the recipient of. Um, I call it death by a thousand cuts. So it was like little legalistic things like people that um, get mad at you for a t-shirt or, uh, you know. Send your CDs back home. To- totally. Yeah. Uh, but even, I mean, like, but just like, there was just with Christian school and church and then music. Um, we weren't part of the, the Christian world really at all, but we still dealt with a little bit of that. Uh, the blowback of people not...
0: Uh, understanding. understanding who
2: we are, what we're doing. Um, but that that took the form of spiritual abuse. There's also some huge conflicts in there of people that decided they didn't like me for things and then just held grudges for years or um, mm. and really just made things miserable. Uh, so like when I combined that all up, I had the same effects of somebody who'd been in an abusive relationship, um, particularly in terms of my faith. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to like be associated with it um, specifically um, now after a lot of, a lot of therapy and a lot of work um, because there had been so much pain associated with it. It was so complicated. Uh, and so, I mean, Tessa at one point was like, she had, a, we had a Bible in the car. And I, I actually threw the Bible off the dashboard uh, cause I got mad at her for, if somebody sees this, they'll know we're Christians. <laughs> and that felt like uh-huh. being, being exposed. Um, because they and and at the time I just you know was uh, I didn't understand why and now I was like oh man that was actually like because I was re- uh reeling from these abusive systems um
0: I mean it could also be cuz a lot of christians are really stupid and embarrassing and won't oh, really be a Oh that, that for
2: sure but i mean that that definitely is a part of it but also just like you know well before i had those conscious like you know christians are kind of dorks and uh not well liked. there was, there was these wounds that were starting to take place. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that, that really has become the last several years. Um, the goal, uh, is to heal. I just don't want to be like, I have this, this kind of mantra that if somebody's hurt me and I realize they've hurt me and I'm reacting to them, I want to heal the wound so they don't get to tell my story. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's been the, like the goal. Um, because I, I yeah. think, yeah, it's it's which has been life life changing in the best way.
1: To do the mm-hmm. work.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like through the process of like, like I'm in a weird place myself now, where I never really went to therapy, and through like my divorce and everything like that, I had to go to therapy, and then I got too busy with school to go. Yeah. And then I recently tried to go back with the guy, but he can't really meet him with me, like. Yeah, we just can't get our schedules to work out. And then I'm like, this is like a weird moment for me. Like, like, I feel like, do I have enough tools in my toolkit now to like, just kind of like, try to work on these things? Like, or should I go back for more or like, whatever? I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess just like. I think what I've gotten to realize as I've gotten older is how little control I have over what I'm going to think and what I'm going to feel. I think this is like, I call it the illusion of control that almost everyone I know has. Yeah, yeah. like, Like with your workaholic tendencies i think of you know it's like you can go on for years doing things and doing certain behaviors and not really noticing or not really thinking about it and and then once you become aware of it in some way it like kind of magnifies the yeah, problem yeah a little bit totally. do you relate to that at
2: all yeah i mean it does i think once you see it you can't unsee it so yeah um it's there i i personally i have a lot of um i have a lot of tools in the toolkit uh for inner inner work um it's spent mm-hmm. years um kind of honing that that side of my myself and Mm -hmm. I still know I benefit from a a professional in ways that I I couldn't even like um well an example like uh just like I've got a therapist that's just I really enjoy her recently and um like she's just said things to me that I didn't even you know in in years of journaling and trying to process things out of myself I didn't see it from the perspective that she did and then all of a sudden it's like oh that's why it's so hard or, um, right. and things come up because she has the specific skill set of, um, helping things, uh, be revealed and then healed. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, um, I don't think, I think it's really money well spent for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, don't it, I think know. it gets, I don't I'm do. man, I think it gets to the end. The, the therapy helps you get where you're going faster. Um, a, go, a right. good therapist gets you there faster. You can get there on your own, but it hurts even more.
0: Yeah. Um, that's... Uh, my therapist would definitely just say things that I think I don't. Know, maybe relate to this as well. It's just like your own inner dialogue, what you do to yourself that's been projected onto you by other people. So then, it, it's like you're reflecting back certain things like onto yourself that aren't fair. Yeah, and then they'll and then they'll say to you, "Well, why do you think that? That's not true. Like, why would you think that about yourself, yeah. or why do you know, like?" Just having someone to say that or to say that back to you, like just to kind of put the kibosh on whatever, whatever negative self-image you're trying to keep going or whatever. I don't know. is helpful, I guess, on some level.
2: I mean, I think it, I think it's definitely helpful for me. I think um, going through the process has been, uh, it's been life-changing. I think even like, like last, I've got, I had a session two weeks ago and we did this really cool thing called resonance repatterning, which is like a it changes um, a resonance inside of you. It's like there's some mm-hmm. – I, I, it's new enough to me that I'm not good at explaining it. But um, she essentially was going through this process and revealed a lie that I believe that I had to do things for everybody else because they couldn't do them for themselves. Huh. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's totally right on. Like I, I completely resonate with – that as a truth that I believe, but I would have never had those words to say before. Yeah. Um, and there was a few others. I was like, oh, that's, that's totally like, that, that lets me know part of my motivation that I didn't even know existed before.
0: Mm-hmm. So now I being, I guess if you were crying or if it, like, is it depression, anxiety? Like, do you have a mixed bag of like um, stuff going well, I, on? I
2: recently realized that I had, uh, a lot of signs of PTSD that I didn't even know I was exhibiting. Um, That's probably Mm. like a month ago we were talking and she gave me a PTSD, (laughs) PTSD worksheet. And I was like, went home, filled it out. And uh, I had just had a, an awkward moment with Tessa and I filled out this sheet and it was like, yeah, I got all these crap. (laughs) Um, Oh man. And I mean, it was from, you know, sometimes my body would just start shaking uh, sometimes I'd emotionally shut down um, mm-hmm. out of out of a not feeling safe. So like, I'd call it like going flat in the face, like not really feeling anything. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there was about four or five other things that we we laid out that were all part of that. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's wow. a process.
0: Yeah. Now, so then through all of this, like where, like where. You said you didn't have a problem with God as much, but more just with these institutions and people that did these negative things and the the death by a thousand tiny cuts and all that. Yeah, like where, like where do you feel like you're at in your journey with that stuff?
2: Um, I'm a Christian, and I think I'm more comfortable with my faith than I've ever been before. Um, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in terms of, I think I've learning more and more what was people and what was, uh, you know, God or how, how that kind of, those are different. Um, for me, right. I had, um, there's a word enmeshment where things get too connected. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there was a whole lot of that where I put, I'm a big feeler and I'm a big people person. So like when somebody gets hurt, I feel that. And so when somebody comes at me, I, I, that gets tied into who I am, real quick.
0: Internalized. Internal. Yeah.
2: I completely internalized. Um, and so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a definitely a Christian. I definitely, if you would have asked me this five years ago, I would have mm-hmm. said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and then I would have hoped that we could <laughs> change the subject. Uh, like I, I would have really like not, not been comfortable with it. Um, and yeah. that was definitely a result of, of the abuse. Um, I right. wanted nothing to do with with faith topics. Certain places I was fine if I felt safe, like maybe in a church, I'd have that conversation. But if we mm. were in a club, oh God, no! Um, I would I would do my best to like change the subject or you know um, distract you and walk away.
0: Yeah, is church part of your like yeah life? We, we go no. to church.
2: Um, yeah, I think that for me, that probably the reason I am a Christian is because I chose to work out my issues uh, in the context of church Uh, Mm -hmm. having, and I mean, we do attend on a Sunday, but I have a a pretty robust network of people that I can call if I'm having a bad day. And the fact that though, some of those people are are super good to me and they also happen to have a faith in common with them is, Mm -hmm. is a huge part of it. Cause I have, you know, a list of jerks a mile long, but I also have a list of really good people. And, choosing that um, I could, you know, cut a jerk out of my life and then also, you know, keep this really good friend. Uh, I had that choice. Um, I think that allowed um, some of these really deep wounds to work out without having, like, maybe the complete crisis of faith. Had a total life crisis, um, Mm -hmm. a lot, but not a crisis of who's God. It was more like a who am I and who are these people. Yeah,
0: yeah. Are you like? Is it a smaller church? Or yeah, it's like, like
2: fifty to hundred people or so. It's a little Anglican yeah. church, um, so it's it's liturgical. So it's pretty different from like uh, like the Assemblies of God or what not, you grew up with. The stuff I grew up with. Yeah, but yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's well, it feels, safe. It feels safe. Feels
0: <laughs> safe. Yeah, I I haven't been in years, uh, primarily due to my schedule. Yeah. Um, but when I have been, I just feel it's just so weird having grown up in the church, basically my entire life and church yeah. camps and the music scene that we grew up in and all that stuff and whatever. And to feel like so alienated and something that's so ingrained in my life is, yeah. is just a weird feeling. Um, I definitely had, trying to find my way back, you know, man, I,
2: I had that, <laughs> like, I totally like there's been years of church that I've blocked out. Like, I don't remember it, um, years of my life that I blocked out, uh, from, from trauma and I mean like and one of the first things I, I lost in that struggle was the comfortability of, it, of being in that building um, yeah like what happened to the kid who was 16 and couldn't wait to be at youth group right and how did he become the guy who's in his 30s who wouldn't want to ever go somewhere that would be called Christian like yeah there was a big space there and uh I don't think it was all just growing up I think there was a whole lot of uh things that had kind of pried the two apart.
0: Yeah. I feel like for me, like one of the only things that's really kept me going on is sort of a weirdly opposite experience of a lot of people and that, like my youth pastor and youth group was like not legalistic at cool. all. Like we had punk shows in the basement at the church and everybody was very welcoming of any weird kids that would come and yeah. everybody was very cool. And like my dad never laid the trip on me of like, you can't listen to this or do that <laughs> or whatever. I laid it on myself. I figured out a way to just yeah, yeah, yeah. figure out my own way to get legalistic and kick my guy out of my band because he got into secular punk and dumb shit that I did as a kid. Yeah. Um, but it's like, um, I think the the fact that I didn't have a lot of that stuff laid on me is one of the reasons that I'm yeah. still sort of semi-intact with a lot of that. And I'm so grateful for that, that I had that, you know. Totally. Um. All right before I let you go and thank you so much for your generosity your time today yeah. Nate um, just talk a little bit about this most recent album and you're getting some great press and some good reactions and it's of course what we've been talking about yeah um, yeah it's kind of been the genesis of you dealing with these topics and and uh, just talk a little bit about that and what how you feel about it and
2: I wrote so I wrote a record called Hide No Truth and it came out a couple months ago uh, It is a quiet indie folk record for for lack of another Mm -hmm. descriptor um really working through uh my internal issues specifically around faith um so it's pretty sad (laughs) it's pretty heavy uh and it's really really honest and i think it it hits um kind of lays out that part of my life that i i wouldn't have ever talked about before uh Mm -hmm. and and doesn't necessarily work in the same tone of a loud punk rock context like the other bands uh Project called Good Saint Nathaniel, so that there's a, a mental separation. separation, for people, so they don't come looking for the next big party, uh, and then mm-hmm. just get like, completely bummed out. Uh, yeah, which happens. <laughs> which totally happens. <laughs> uh, so I, I have to like, uh, I actually played a breakfast. Uh, I played a festival last year and they had me set up to be the band that the nice folk band that plays after breakfast, uh, before the other (laughs) bands start. And I was like, Oh no, these people, these people have no idea what's going to happen to them. And, uh, so I totally played and, you know, flattens the room. Like people just like get super engaged, but they're also just like, it's really heavy. Um, yeah. And that was before I was trying to tell like funny stories or anything between songs. It was just pure heaviness. And so I went nice. back and wrote a disclaimer after the set uh, to,
0: to read. <laughs> this before. might be a giant bum out just <laughs> to let like, you
2: know. <laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, so it's, it's that sort of stuff. Um, it's been received really well, which is, uh, it's really encouraging. Um, mm-hmm. And that's been like, I really put everything on hold for a couple of years to get that record out. And it took a lot uh, to get from, like, even that was one of my main obstacles is like, went to therapy. I'm like, well, I wrote these songs. I can't play him live because every time I play him, I get, I have a panic attack and I go back to my apartment and I, you know, oh yeah, can't feel anything for several hours or, and, yeah. uh, and so like that was the first hurdle is to get where I could even get to like, I'm, like I'm a musician. I got able to it. play shows.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And, uh, and then, wow. so now we're, you know, several years down the road where I could finally get the record out. Um, but it's definitely a terrifying process, um, to mm. go through.
0: Yeah. I've broken up with music at several points in my life. Um, I say it like it's like some bad girlfriend or something <laughs> that I had or like whatever. And and uh, I guess now about a year ago was like the last one where I was like, I'm, I even wrote like not journaling not as much, but just like sort of like my breaking up with music letter. Like I'm done. You yeah. finally broke my heart. This is it. Like you've <laughs> destroyed my life. Like I'm never doing this again. Like what was I thinking? You know, Um like I was back in college for recording and I changed my major to public relations. I'm like, this is it. I'm done. This is like whatever. Yeah. And now I'm like to the point where it's like, all right, when I get done getting a band back together, I'm like gonna make records. So I'm like gonna finish this record I've been working on for like seven years. And I just think it's so funny, like just the weird roller coaster of like creativity and dealing with these things and and I really relate to what you said about, like, your very first song that you wrote was about, you know, a breakup or whatever. And I seem to always be motivated by negativity and my yeah. creativity for whatever reason. And um, I think, like, it's, like, hard. I think, like, a, an important lesson for all of us to learn is you can't really deny who you are and who you yeah. are at the core of your being. And, and um You know, you might try to run from it or suppress it or block it out or do these different things. At the end of the day, you are who you are and you have these things that you, for whatever reason, this weird mystical thing of creativity and stuff just wants to get out. And you don't really have any control over it and, and whatever. And, um... I guess I just want to encourage you today, you know, just to keep expressing yourself and it's important to other people. I think it's important for people to understand that people have these issues. I'm glad that we live in a time where people are open about their struggles and that they're depressed or they're anxious or whatever. So people don't feel alone or isolated, you know. And um, so, I don't know. Now I'm getting emotional. So (laughs) what can I say? (laughs) <laughs> anyways um, thank you so much for yeah. being here today uh, Nate it was great talking to you and get to know you a little bit better yeah. We sort of uh, are in the same circles but never really had a chance to talk totally. and it was just an honor to talk to you today and thank you so much for sharing with, uh, with everybody yeah
2: thanks for having me Nate
0: Allen everybody Uh, There's a lot of damage done by the church, and it's up to us that still believe to make sure that we do things differently going forward. I really appreciated Nate's vulnerability and openness in discussing these issues. Check out that Hide No Truth record. It's got all the feels in there. Uh, It's deep. And uh, thank you, Nate, for being you and for coming on the show today. Urban Achiever is produced and edited by your host and friend, Billy Power. Hey, that's me. The show opening and closing theme music was written and performed by Ethan Luck. You can check out my main man, Ethan, at ethanluck.com. The music clips you heard uh, today were everything that's lost and making repairs from the good Saint Nathaniel record, Hide No Truth. All episodes of Urban Achiever are available for download or streaming at urbanachievershow.com. It's also available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. You can get connected on Instagram and Twitter at Urban Achiever PC. You can also email me anytime at Billy at UrbanAchievershow.com. There is show merchandise, including coffee mugs, t shirts, and more available for purchase at UrbanAchiever.store. And uh, don't forget to check out that Spoken in Tongues new single, Fractures, and spokenintongues.com to hear those clips. Uh, all right, Achievers, that's it for me this week. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep up the good work. I'm proud of you. Oh, my God. Is it really the end of the week? Finally,
2: I always forget.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I work sun, I work nights i work sunday night through thursday night i'm off friday night and saturday night but then i work sunday night so it's just weird and then yeah and then i start working at eight thirty p.m on one night and then i finish at five thirty in the morning the next day so when i come to work it's one day and when i leave work it's a different day
2: <laughs> yeah that's that's confusing <laughs> it's like
0: what what day is it today what am i doing is it over yet Thank <sighs> you.